Welcome everybody to episode 119 of the Metapeelers 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And David. And this week, this week's a bit of a departure, um, uh, something new, something different. Yeah. We're always mixing it up here on the uh, Meta Readers 2 podcast. You never know what you're going to hear <laughs> unless, of course, you listen to the last one, in which case you do. Um, uh, why don't you explain what we're doing here, David? You're always good at that. Yeah, so this week we finally finished the Virgin New Adventure, uh, Love and War by Paul Cornell. This was the ninth new adventure released by Virgin Publishing. It came out on the 15th of October, 1992. 1992. So it's been a while, and it is the first novel that features Bernie Summerfield. Bernie Summerfield, yeah, who's subsequently become... Kind of a thing. Uh, kind, of a, kind of a big deal with yeah. uh, old Lisa Bauman. Mm-hmm. Uh, following on from her stunning turn as a cat person or a cheetah thing. Yeah, Kara in Survival, which we in talked survival. about a couple episodes back. Yes. And uh, this is the first uh, new adventure that I actually finished, and I did have to force myself to finish it. Was this the first one you've actually... Because I remember... Okay, let's, let's, um, let's rewind, rewind all the way back to the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think that was when we first met, wasn't it, David? I think we met to 94, maybe? Oh, 94, 95? Around mid-90s. Because I, I, was, I, I was hanging around in Minnesota before before we got married. Hmm. And Amanda was working at the, spoiler alert, um, as were you, um, yep. the Minnesota Historical Society store. Yep. Um, but I can remember pretty much the, one of the first times that, that I met you and we discovered that we had a mutual interest in a in a then-defunct <laughs> BBC TV show called Doctor Who. And you were very dismissive of the Virgin New Adventures. Uh, you yes. said that they were basically fan fiction. Um, you were never going to touch them. Um, <laughs> and I said I'd read a few of them. I think I'd read Love and War by this point. I can't remember. Probably. Um, and you were like, never, never. Yes. But, so this is literally the first one you've ever read. Yeah, it's the first one I finished. I did st- oh, finished. try finish. <laughs> I did try to start many of them, and I just... <laughs> Toss them aside, and this is just—I am not their target audience. This is not for me. Did and you buy? Um, uh, did you, when you say you toss them aside? Did you get them from the library? Did you buy them from? The, I the bookstore? did buy them, and I have—I sold them to half price sometime in the, before I moved to North Carolina. They okay, just some of them are way valuable now. So I hope you didn't sell the way valuable ones. Uh, what is the only really valuable one? Isn't it? Isn't it Lung Barrow or are there other Lung ones? Barrow and then that one with Paul McGann on the front. Can't remember. Mm. Oh, that very last one. Yeah, the very last I, I one, had yeah. totally been dismissive of New Adventures then, by then, so I wouldn't have had either of them. Yeah, yeah. It's only those those uh, those later ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. you can pick up a uh, Love and War for about five bucks on eBay or through a used bookstore. Should you should you choose to do to yeah. do that? Yeah. So this um, is the first one I actually made it through, and I did have to kind of force myself to make it through. I, I, <laughs> so. Expand a little on what you don't like about them. It confirmed my impression of them that I had in the early 90s, mid-90s. Right. That this is really continuity-heavy. It tries to... Uh, so it's more for a mature audience. It's kind of, It can be think, soft think, porn in places. Yeah, I think we're putting mature in inverted commas, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, they're trying... These were the teens or young adults who really loved Doctor Who in the 1980s and couldn't let go. 
And so they continue to write. Uh, Virgin had uh, got a contract from BBC to continue on the adventures with the Seventh Doctor and Ace. And the stories aren't very engaging, I guess, for me. And it just... Yeah, I, I didn't like the whole uh, sexualizing graphic violence, and uh, I didn't like the McCoy as this manipulating dark doctor character, or the seventh doctor. This and these were all this books about, and uh, and McCoy in this or McCoy, the seventh doctor in this novel is again manipulating, and it causes a big fallout between him and Ace, which. Is not the you know I, I said in at the at the end of survival I was ready for more Ace I wanted to see more of Ace and the Doctor getting along, but it's a regression of the character of the Seventh Doctor to being manipulating. He sits idle in the book for pretty much most of it, and it is just uh, kind of Ace shagging her way across uh, with travelers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for um for our younger younger listeners, um I'll just remind everybody that the, yes, this is indeed Richard Branson's Virgin that we're talking about, mm-hmm. um the owner of um of Virgin Railways and um just sold his Virgin Airlines to mm-hmm. Alaska Airlines in the uh, late eighties, early nineties for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, you'd have money. to ask Rich. <laughs> There's so, so much money to be made in Doctor Who fan fiction. Um, yeah. For some reason that I'm sure is is clear to somebody that there was a decision made that Virgin should get involved in publishing books. Um, and for some reason, one of the things they decided to start publishing were these kind of continuations, uh, stories too broad and deep for the small screen. Now, didn't Branson originally get a start as a record shop? Virgin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Virgin Virgin is called Virgin because he's Virgin. No, he's not. Um, <laughs> uh, because he started uh, he started a record store um, or record label and store and really didn't know anything about it. So that's why it's called Virgin. And he famously, his kind of route to success was discovering Mike Oldfield and uh, releasing recording and releasing Tubular Bells. Hmm. Um, for all fans of kind of late uh, mid to late seventies um, electronic music, um, that's uh, that's Mike Oldfield or all, mm-hmm. all the Exorcist as well, of course, which uh, Americans might know that might yeah. know that better from. Um, and then there was Virgin Cola. He started doing Coca Cola for a while. <laughs> And what else? What other dumb Virgin things were there? But he, yeah, but he went into publishing in, in the early went into publishing 90s. in a big yeah. way, um, yeah. and I guess was looking for like a genre imprint, you know, like all those Star Trek novels that like well, you know, nerds from, with money. I mean, ner- <laughs> nerds with nerds with you know three ninety five burning a hole in their pockets. Yeah, and um, yeah, and it started out. I mean, they had Terrence Sticks. Do the first one. Word read the did the first one. Uh, I think there were two trilogies that kind of kicked the whole thing off. Time Worm and then Cat's Cradle. Yep. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I should know because I do a podcast on Doctor Who, but I don't really know how they pick the authors. Um, this was before like Rec Arts Who and all that kind of nonsense. No, right? that Rec Arts Who would have been going in the nineties. I was on Rec Arts Who at least ninety two, ninety three. Three, probably starting in 1993. So, so these, but yeah. I mean, I think these were the probably people who hung out at the Fitzroy Fitzroy Tavern, yeah. Which I never did. I I kind of regret it now. I sh- if if only I I decided to. I I felt I think remember at the time that I. 
thought I wouldn't really enjoy it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you I'm might prob- not have. <laughs> I'm probably right, to be honest. <laughs> but, well, I um, mean, so uh, I think it was very much this was the uh, a clique, but also uh, they were tangentially associated with Doctor Who Magazine Monthly or Doctor Who Magazine, yeah, DWM, and right. uh, had written in or written for. So I think it kind of ex- expanded on that. Where are you going to find Doctor Who writers? Well, people who have been writing for the magazine or something right. like that. And then, yeah. oh, do they have a friend? Well, yeah, they have a friend who also has a fanfic that they will write. So a lot of these uh, are expanded fan fix i feel from the 1990s and it really sets the stage for what uh doctor who becomes in the revival in the rtd era because it seems like a lot of stuff is mined from the new adventures especially even paul cornell's work which uh human nature then becomes a, a script for television rather than just a novelization yeah, yeah, but I mean, they. Uh, I mean, I think thank, thank, well, not thankfully, but you know, I think obviously they, RTD stripped out a lot of the kind of you know backstory, complexity from uh, human nature, um, right? Before it got to the TV, yeah. see this whole kind of death thing, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, it's clear when you read Eleven War, as we've just done, you know, I mean, there's a character called Paul Mars, yes. <laughs> Which is like whoa, yeah, that's <laughs> which, another. Which, which, which is fascinating because, of course, when I read it, because I haven't read this book for like thirty years, right? Well, wouldn't it come out nineteen ninety two? So like yeah. twenty five years, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I wouldn't, I and I remember sort of a little bit enjoying it at the time. Well, I'll come back to that, but anyway. But um, yeah, I would have known the name Paul Mars from like you know, Paul from a natural Martian. Um, <laughs> but now, of course, it's oh, bloody hell, it's Paul Mars. What's what's mm-hmm. he doing in? Uh, of being an archaeological student on a, on the planet Heaven in the you know twenty fifth century, he was born to deconstruct. <laughs> he was born to deconstruct, indeed. Um, I I remember uh, uh, I at that time you just given some of your memories of this mm-hmm. era. I'll give you some of mine. I mean, that time I was living in the north of England um, mm-hmm. in Leeds, mm. and I wasn't earning a huge amount of money, um, so I was kind of rationing my kind of fanish acquisitions and i was really kind of saving my pennies for uh doctor who videos to be honest yeah well 92 had tomb come out and shada come out exactly exactly i didn't buy shada because i I didn't like it then and i still don't like it now (laughs) that much um but i i I definitely splashed on you know because yeah video was like 20 20 quid or something yeah it was 30 35 dollars crazy expensive expensive um so and again so with the virgin new adventures which i was curious about i kind of I, I took two ways of deciding whether to get a, a Virgin New York. Right. Of course, you right. couldn't find them secondhand. They're all, they're all new. I mean, nowadays, you know, if you... Well, the early ones, certainly, if you scour, you know, half price books, you can pick them up pretty easily. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I went by the cover. So, you know, if it was a cover that I liked, um, if it was a Peter Elson right. cover, for instance, oh, yeah, that's good. Or I would skim through it. It's, it, you know, in... Uh, in Waterstones, um, on Brigate in, in Leeds, um, and I would see whether there was any <laughs> monsters that I liked, i.e. monsters right. from the TV show, in which case I would then buy it. I can't remember why I bought Love and War. Um, well, I, I have a guess. Oh, how? Because if you were reading like the first parts of it, it is third Doctor continuity heavy. It is ladled on 
thick from Madam President, the Draconians, Daleks, Silurians in space, Alpha Centauri, Arcturus, the Polari, IMC, IMC. I mean, it is uh, it is heavy, heavy, heavy continuity. And if you got in there um, further in, then you have Absalon Dark and Sabalon Glitz appears. So it, it's really it really is continuity. So I think you got sucked in by all the third doctor references. I think I probably did. I think, I think actually I can remember, I think the first new adventure that I bought was Jim Mortimer's um, blood heat. Ooh, uh, with the Silurians. I, yeah. Cause it has an awesome cover by, I can't remember the guy's name, but, but a, a cover artist who used to do covers for, for target mm-hmm. uh, and it's Silurians. And I love Silurians. And I remember reading that and I, I bits of it. I enjoyed other bits of it, I like. I don't know what the hell's going on here. There's like all these back references to previous novels. What, what, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I put it down and was looking for something simpler. And I think that's when I picked up Love and War. Even though the cover is not that good. It's by um, uh, Peter, is it Peter Sullivan. Oh, hang on, wait a second. Lee Sullivan. Be, be, I beg his pardon. Um, the cover's not that good, I don't feel. I think Lee Sullivan was involved in kind of designing kind of what Benny would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, 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 the artist for the comic strips at that time. Um, he's a great guy. I've never actually kind of, uh, sorry, rated his work that highly. Um, the Houthi monster on the front looks a little bit like a scrotum of some kind. <laughs> well, um, which, that, that, guess, that, like that's a scary, can, right? Like, Wasn't like that a, the Ogron god or Ogron monster? Think, <laughs> which I think is, you know, I think is like is like a scary scrotum, not a friendly one. Uh, and that's a bit off I found that a bit off-putting at the yeah. time. Anyway, um, so that's why I picked it up. And I remember sort of enjoying it. I think actually for precisely the reasons that you've just described, that mm-hmm. there was a lot of lot of Pertwee stuff in it. But yeah. didn't Cornell come out in the end being all anti Pertwee? Wasn't he part of the part of the Pertwee backlash? I don't in the, I don't in the nineties. Because don't know. he's a big know champion <laughs> of uh, Pertwee now, so maybe right. he's gone full circle upon it or not. I yeah. think he's mm-hmm. always been uh, pretty I d I don't know. I wasn't I was so disconnected from fandom and the whims of fandom at the time in the 90s. Right. I I had pretty much written off Doctor Who after the TV movie in 96. And then right. the new adventures had kind of Fair enough. puttered off. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's some random, random dump backgrounds. Um, what do we think of the book? <sighs> oh, dear. Yeah. Um... Didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't. I didn't like it much either, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. It, it seemed to me this is. Uh, it seemed to me a bit of a writer's notebook in places mm-hmm. that, uh, especially RTD, probably really liked, and Moffat really liked in mind from. Like Bernice Summerfield seems to me like a proto River Song in many places. Yeah, that's an archaeologist thing. You yeah. got the archaeology. And uh, with guns and travels with a doctor, it just seemed like a, a early or a, a rough draft of River Song in, in some ways. And she's also really kind of a classic Mary Sue as well. I mean, you know, she's all like sassy and like knowledgeable, weirdly like from the 1990s, even though this is the you know 2500s or so. Well, was um, it she from the 1990s or she specialized in the? 20th century she specialized in the 20th century so that she can weave in a lot of kind of 90s references and she's right. got a 
her what was the her favorite Isley Brothers song or something, whatever it was. I should have taken notes. Um, but you know, which is just it's it was it's a little bit it's a uh, she's you know she it it's it, it's it's I it would have been a lot a lot more honest if Cornell had just made her a Doctor Who fan basically. <laughs> um, you know, she's I'm a big fan of the show Doctor Who. Um, well, Professor X, as I think it became in right. the um, in the I Virgin New right. Adventures. I think you're right. I, I so yeah so there's yeah so, so yeah so you're you're right about Bernie Summerfield and I I think she's grown as a character over the years as a more interesting character. What do you, do you think, think? Rightfully mm-hmm. so. Do you think there's enough source material here that? Uh... Well, it allows you to tell. It's a character that allows you to tell Doctor Who stories without having the Doctor in it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which on the face of it, that's that sounds ridiculous, but actually, it's actually kind of useful. So you can do. You can have continuity and you can use do monsters, um, but you can do different kinds of threats um, and different kinds of stories with a non-Doctor character, Hmm. which I think if you're wanting to tell stories in this universe, I guess that's kind of useful. Of course, you know, in the wider sense, it's kind of not useful at all because who cares? But, you know, I guess a lot of us do care, which is why we're doing a podcast. Uh, so, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, so I, yeah, I've got a little bit of affection for the character now, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably uh, listen to more Big Finish with her, too, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. And Lisa Bauman is a very, very, you know, she's a, obviously devoted to the character and she's, a, she's very careful of the caring about the character um and she's you know has done a lot for doctor who as a thing which she doesn't really have to because you know she was a minor character in the the last episode and then she's she's just an audio actress now Mm -hmm. actor um but you know she's so that's that's she i think she brings a lot to it Hmm. in my in my in my in my uh, my feeling she's really embraced the character then and probably made it more than uh she at first uh, first appearance well she wasn't lisa lisa bowerman wasn't bernie summerfield in in this novel for example no 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 yeah, no, yeah. no no it wasn't though, until though, she was cast and big finished for well well actually i think uh i mean the 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 appearance of lisa summer summer uh was was actually based on um uh i understand um reading lee sullivan's explanation was based on uh emma thompson hmm uh, Just saw actress. a movie by her last, or with her last uh, night. Oh, was that the one where she's late uh, night? Talks, yeah. That talk, yeah. Is, is that good? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Topic. So it it was interesting. It was a little bit slow and predictable, but okay. it was it was good for date night. Put it that way. Okay. Well, she 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 of course plays the Farage amalgam in uh, RTD's new uh, Years and Years miniseries, which is just about to, just finished on BBC and is going to start on HBO. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she was based on Emma Thompson, huh. um, which is interesting because because actually Emma Thompson and um, uh, at that age um, and Lisa Bauman look relatively similar, so that's um, so that was helpful. So, uh, but, I mean, what do you think about Ace? Un- unrecognizable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she'd been through a little... I mean, she'd been through nine previous novels, you know, with Time Worms and yeah. Cat's Cradleses and all that kind of uh, argy-bargy and jiggery-pokery. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, again, like Mary Sueish, it's like, you know, it's it's you get the impression that, you know, it's what Paul Cornell would like to be were he female. Hmm. I don't know. What I got from it is... It's a good novel from following on survival because there's the survival references and we re- revisit some of the characters in survival briefly in yeah. cameos and uh, as a framing device. 
Julian, who is a friend that we learn about in this novel, was one of Ace's friends in Perryvale, a little bit older. So I think that bit's good. And it's also really good if you're understanding how uh, it fits in a larger thing where Bernie Summerfield comes on board. So it's a really good bridging novel if you're going to read one new adventure. This helps bridge where we were in survival to where we wind up in Big Finish and, and we have in... 21st century revival that Russell T. Davis brought about. So I think it's a good bridging story in that way. Yeah, and I think she's kind of embarrassingly sexual, which is still embarrassing, you know, in a way that's more akin to Curse of Fenric, Mm. the embarrassment (laughs) of that that episode than than, than the more kind of mature and nuanced um, of, of survival. I wonder if it's a difference between you have a young male writing yeah. female sexuality and you yeah. have a, a young woman writing female sexuality. And uh, Rona Monroe was much more sophisticated in her portrayal yeah. of it than Briggs was or uh, <laughs> Aronovich was yeah. or uh, Paul Cornell was. Yeah, these are all young, nerdy, heterosexual men and they write the women as they would like women to be or how they imagine their perfect woman would be. Um, it's also, again, I mean, one of the things that I did find interesting about reading it, I mean, I do, I mean, I do actually, you know, I did like the, con- I do like the continuity bits, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I like, you know, it's, I mean, you know, obviously they can't use the Daleks because Terry, no- Terry Notion's, well, you know, Stephen Moffat's wife is still not letting them do that. Um, <laughs> and, but like, you know, there's Draconians, that's, that's fun. And there's Arcturans. You know, there's a whole bunch of, continuity which is just kind of fun and even the kind of you know weird in-joke continuity like you know and the character called paul mars um that's also fun in retrospect well he also he has a character that his uh, buddy keith topping uh oh, created. Right. johnny chess is in there yeah too. johnny chess yeah the, the the rock star yeah you know which is a very again i'd, I'd love to do i'd love to there's there must be some kind of you know blog or you know internet article that one could write about like unconvincing pop star names in fan fiction <laughs> johnny chess that you know, that's no no not even no one would call themselves johnny chess anyway it's super dated that's one of the things i found interesting about it it's a really interesting document of not only where doctor who fandom which you know arguably doctor who fandom is kind of an important thing ish now you know i mean it's there are a lot of you know, relatively important people, certainly in the entertainment business, you know, who came out of that milieu. And also, you know, a lot more people are fans of the show nowadays than ever were back then. Right. Um, so it's an interesting document of where Doctor Who fandom was in the early 1990s. But it's also, I, or some, some way, an interesting document of, of where kind of, you know, British culture was in the early 1990s. I mean, this is still, we're still in the John Major government which is basically, you know, the fag end of, um, Thatcher. of, of the, the Thatcher government. You know, we haven't had Cool Britannia and Tony Blair and Blur <laughs> and Oasis. That hasn't happened yet. So we're right. still in that weird kind of pre-Britpop era of, of you know, um, I don't know, the men they couldn't hire. And with all those all those kind of crusty bands, um, you know, uh, Pop Will Eat Itself and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> this whole Travelers thing. I and mean, it was so huge. In the late 80s and early 90s in Britain, travelers this and travelers that. Um, and, uh, you know, even where I was in, well, and it was more, I guess it was more of a southern England thing, but certainly when I was a, 
when I was at university, you know, travellers were just, they were just all over the place. It was like, oh, here come the travellers. And to kind of, you know, have them as this kind of, this thing that's still still existing in the 25th century. Right. Um, and they, they grew out of Earth. And now they're travelling across the galaxy being all cool and they've got dreadlocks and, <laughs> you know, they're all in... They're all in cyberspace, like like a William Gibson novel. Um, putter space. Like, yeah, exactly. I, 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 is it putter space or is it pooter space? Well, either one sounds rude. <laughs> Both rude and stupid, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're all like they've all. I said they've all got dreadlocks, and you know they're all having sex with each other, and they've all got cool names. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super as if Paul Cornell was like, oh, I wish I could be a traveler, but. I'm just a nerdy Doctor Who fan, so I can't be one of those people. But I'm going to write about them. They're awesome, uh-huh. and they're free spirits. And it's, so it's it's yeah, it's super fun. It's that way. It's kind of fun and dated, and I kind of enjoyed it in that way. To be honest, it's like wow. You lived in that time, so you're very yeah. you're grounded in, and it was uh, not where I was in '92 uh, by any means. Do you not have travelers in the, <laughs> in the United States? I, I think they're called deadheads in the. Uh, Yes, they yeah. follow the Grateful Dead around. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The interesting thing about travelers, they didn't really follow anyone around. They just yeah. kind of followed themselves around and then got, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I think they were an important cultural expression, you know, in the late the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. Are they any different from uh, the Romani people, or they are? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it's interesting. I mean, they talk about Polare, which is um, carnival monsters, right? Yeah, but that is the that is the language of of both Romani people and also circus people as well and theatre people. Mm. Um, so it's 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 what you and also gay uh, of, of of the kind of you know the gay underground before that was legalized. Um, that was what people would speak in order to kind of you know disguise uh, what they were up to. It's kind of a secret language. I mean, it's it's a it's a real thing. It's not it's not just um it's not just uh, oh. Uh, it's it's not just Carnival of Monsters. Oh. It's a, it's an actual real thing. Oh yeah, I mean look at that. Yeah, there, there, okay. there are some really interesting YouTube videos of of people speaking Polari. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So no, so these I, travelers were. I mean, they were a hang. They were a hangover. They were the kind of the bastard. That's the wrong word, but you know, they were the kind of love child of you know hippies and punks, basically. Uh, okay. Um, and so the whole crusty. Um, I think you call them in the states. They're kind of crust punks, right? At least I think that's what they are here in the Northwest. Huh. Um, oh, but, you know, uh, no, not yeah. grunge. You know, okay. dog on a rope. I mean, yeah. that's basically dog on a rope. Yeah. Um, here's my dog. It's on a rope. Um, uh, we haven't washed for a bit. Um, we live in a bus that we found. Yeah, which really, <laughs> just as a sidebar, which yeah. made the sex scenes uh, between Ace and Jan really implausible. This guy must have stunk to high heaven with his Oh, yeah, well, that was and... the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit um, when we were talking about the greatest show in the galaxy and kind of you know buses. Mm. Um, I mean, when I was at school, which was in in high school, which was in Wiltshire, which is Traveller Central, there was these Traveller buses. Just you know, they, just, they would you know, you'd buy like an old an old public transport bus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a public bus, and then you just kind of do it up and kind of live in it, and you paint big flowers on the side, and you know that's where you'd live. Um, but it's weird. I wonder what kind of I'd, I'd, I'd not lived in Britain for so long now. That I'm not actually sure whether those people still exist. They probably all settled down now, but it was a big thing, and they'd all go to Stonehenge every year on the solstice, and there was mm-hmm. always like a big fight 
um, uh, with the police because you're not allowed to go to Stonehenge. And of course, you are nowadays. But yep. um, then uh, there's this famous incident, I can't remember, in the mid-80s, can't remember the exact date, called the Battle of the Beanfield, which was where basically, you know, the kind of forces of Thatcherite uh, repression collided with travellers um, and, you know, all the buses were burnt and everyone was beaten up and they all got dragged off to jail um, and that was kind of a nightmare. But it also, but then it kind of sublimed itself into the whole second summer of love in 1998, sorry, 1988 mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, dance music and raves and kind of festivals and then Glastonbury. Anyway, it's a whole thing. It's a whole big thing. Anyway, but I guess where I'm going with this is this is what this book is kind of reminding me of. Oh. But what it is interesting is it's it's a it's a kind of a nerdy heterosexual fanboy who loves Doctor Who who also wishes that he had the uh, uh, he had the strength of purpose to up sticks and go and be a traveller. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of romanticization of that lifestyle is very, very clear in this. And, you know, yes. um, but Cornell's only writing from observation. You know, he never he never has, has done any of that, as far as I know. And mm. of course, we're good friends with him now because we went to we were, the, <laughs> we were at Gallifrey one with him uh, yeah, just last year, yeah. uh, just earlier this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's so, so it's, it's an interesting snapshot of a, of a particular time. Well, it's also interesting, too. I mean, Cornell being a writer, I mean, we have uh, a sexless character in Christopher who yes. loses his gender. And then uh, Marie, Marie or Royce, Marie, Mary, Marie. I can't remember. I don't know how to. Yeah, they need a pronunciation guide. Yeah. Guide, yeah and front. Royce, we're having a lesbian relationship. So there there is sexual uh non-straight culture in this and sexless uh, characters and just uh cornell's friendship with paul mars and name dropping him a gay writer who was uh, gay, gay, yeah. gay gay bashed by his uh, own father uh, so i think i think cornell is more than just just coming across you know, a straight fantasy for uh, these characters he is trying to work in a larger uh, bit of uh, humanity or uh, sexual politics in his novels than what we had see- been seeing, just like in a television show where Rona Monroe would just hint upon uh, maybe Ace is bisexual or gay or something like that. Yeah. So I, it's, it's more than just a straight fantasy, but then you have uh, Bernie Summerfield who only had three boyfriends and then Ace and uh, Jan, Ace being very quick to get into bed with Jan and that, that, that type of bit so that that kind of supports where you're what you're saying there that is kind of a mary sue or is kind of uh projecting uh, cornell's own desires perhaps onto these characters yeah and, I, and as you point out you know i mean the 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 central relationship in the book well, one of the central relationships of the book which is you know ace and jan is really kind of unlikely and it's really only there I mean, you know, Jan is basically no one at all. Doesn't really have a character. He's a plot. Um, he's, a, he's a plot he's device. A, he's a plot. He's a plot device. So you know, this whole oh, the Doctor's super manipulative. Well, you know, that's that's actually that's what you are as well, Paul. I mean, all your the, the only reason this character exists is so that you can manipulate him to being exploded, um, <laughs> you know, inside the Houthi sphere at the end of the book, and then get eight. And that that only happens so that Ace gets super mad, um, and then leaves the Doctor, and then right. she can go off and become a you know an anti Dalek. A uh, member of the anti-Dalek force, you know, and become yeah. a Dalek killer, which is what she what she does in the in the in the new adventure. She becomes Absalom Dark, basically, mm-hmm. and then comes back as this 
lycra clad um you know <laughs> dalek assassin right which which is also is fun but sort of weirdly unnecessary um, i think i would have preferred her becoming a time lord to be honest with you rather than the absolute dark type character i think weirdly i mean i think this is what how you change in your life i think i what i currently what i would prefer ace to have done is to have left the doctor gone back to Perryvale, had a normal relationship with someone and just become a normal person <laughs> I mean that's the that that's the victory. She could have taken over the corner shot from Hale and Pace. Yeah, she could. Yeah, her her and Manisha could have. Yeah, could have run the corner shop together. No, you know she's you know get a job like you know have a normal relationship that's not with some space Traveler. crust space crusties kind of pyrokinetic mm-hmm. space crusty and you know just get a job, cut your hair. <laughs> Be it, oh, there's be it. all the stuff about Ace's hair all the way through as well. There's so much stuff about hair. It's weird. Mm. Like she's always like doing her braids, hair and and doing up her braids and <laughs> braids this and braids that. It's like <laughs> Paul could stop obsessing with people's hair. Really loves uh, Sophie Aldred's hair. I think. I think. I think. <laughs> I think if Sophie Aldred ever accidentally falls asleep at a Doctor <laughs> Who convention. She she'd be have to be very careful that when she wakes up, Paul Cornell isn't just stroking her hair. Hasn't <laughs> uh, crept up behind her chair and just stroking her hair, going, "Oh, Sophie, your hair, your hair." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul, we love you really. I mean, you don't listen to our podcast, so no, we can we're, we're we can safe tease, and we can tease you as much as we like. And our one <laughs> and our one listener doesn't know Paul, so we're we're in the clear. We're in the clear. We're in the clear. This is never going to get back to him. Uh, also, oh, so also, and Sophie's brilliant, actually. So mm-hmm. I've, I've met her briefly, getting stuff signed, and she's a super nice lady. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, so yeah, what else? What else in, in love so, and war? I mean, so the Houthi. I mean, let's talk about the main baddie, the, the silent gas dirigibles of the Houthi. Yeah, from the um, Brain of Morbius. Yeah, uh, my my little bit of trivia is uh, the actress who played Marin, who is the one who gave the line, uh, Cynthia Grenville, and she mm-hmm. misread the line or misremembered the line. It should have oh. been the Muthi, not the Houthi. You are. I did not know. What on earth did you find oh, that tidbit? God, I can't remember where I found it, but it was in, in the as scripted by uh, it's the um, Muthi. By uh, well, uh, uh, Dex well, and whoever's, Holmes, yeah. Whoever scripted it, yes, right. exactly. It's probably a, a um, Holmes thing because he uh, rewrote yeah. it. <laughs> Robin Bland, as scripted by Robin Bland, it was the Muthi. The Muthi, <laughs> yeah. The silent gas. Yeah. So they're they're a little bit like crinoids. They're a little bit like axons. Yeah. They're a little bit like Cybermen, I suppose. If Cybermen were made of fungus. Well, they, they're they, a little yeah. bit like a lot of other things, and again, and this, I think this is this is you know this is something that the the, the series does all the time. So far, a bit for me to criticize Cornell for this, but you know, I they, I always find it a little bit. It's certainly in the series, I always find it amu- amusing. But in Love and War, I actually found it irritating that you know um, <laughs> uh, uh, they always have like a giant plan, like the monster is always going to take over like the entire universe. Yeah. Um, rather than like a planet or a couple of planets, you know, and the, you know the Houthi be planning this for centuries, and right. you know Julian is part of the Houthi because for some reason they've he also got a spore on like Earth. a literally thousand, literally hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, and you know blah blah blah. Right. It's all got to be kind of like a big thing, and that right. bugs me slightly. He goes full out to make them disgusting, which sort of works. I think it really only works if you're disgusted by fungus. Um, mm-hmm. 
I quite kind of like fungus, really. And I'm not sure there's a kind of a a correlation between fungus, like mushrooms, mm-hmm. and rotting bodies, which I think is actually different. Right. Fungus and, you know, bodies are rotted by bacteria, right? And fungus is not bacteria. Fungus is something else. So yeah, it grows on dead wood and stuff like that. Conflate the two is a little bit unfair, uh, unfair on fungus. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's fungus Yes. It's a deeply fungus novel. And if I was a fungus, I'd be very upset and offended. Well, the thing with the Houthi that bothers me is, I think it touches on what you're saying, that do we really need them to be ancient enemies of Gallifrey and the Time Lords? All that kind of nonsense, exactly. That really is what... Actually, it's, it's more that continuity aspect that's exposes the kind of you know, vacuousness of continuity than, you know, <laughs> dropping in some draconians and Daleks every right. every every ten seconds. It's like the bigging up. Well, everyone is the enemy of the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. Well I guess I suppose if the Time Lords are eternal, you know, then maybe everyone is the enemy of the Time Lords. I Who suppose, knows? Yeah. Yeah. But vacuous, I guess that leads into the Church of the Vacuum. <laughs> the vacuum church, yeah, what's all that about? Well, uh, they're nihilist, right? And so they want to just expose themselves or throw themselves into the vacuum of space because it doesn't matter, I guess, is their tenets of faith. Did they return? I, get, I, have, the, I have the feeling that maybe they're something that happens again. I don't but, know. It reminded me know. of the headless okay. monks in uh, Moffat's writing. Oh, yeah. They kind of, they kind of are monk, uh, monkish, monkish, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. That's very true. So I, that's why I kind of mean by uh, uh, the mine in which other writers have been going and extracting little tidbits from. Yeah, because you know, I mean, if you were in the we, if we went, if we were had a time machine like the Doctor went back to the Fitzroy Tavern in nineteen ninety two. Both Stephen Moffat and Paul Cornell and Paul Mars, for that matter, and would all Russell be, T Davis probably, and Russell T Davis would all be sinking a, a half pint of shandy. <laughs> um, <laughs> In the snug, wouldn't they, really? So, yeah, yeah all these people were, t- were, were talking to each other and spending time with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and really shaping yeah. what Doctor Who would become in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, vacuum church. Yeah, yeah that's, you're right, because also, um, you know, Moffat always had that kind of, he's always that papal mainframe yeah. malarkey, which oh, I always mm-hmm. find kind of unconvincing. And, and then the, uh, Davis and the Oncoming Storm. I mean, this is directly yep. the first reference to the Oncoming Storm, and it's a Paul Cornell phrase. Of yeah, and that, the and that, and they they use that even more actually. You know, the Dal- you know, the Daleks have the special name for the Doctor, the yeah, Karak, right. Brat, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, How about some of the uh, the more minor characters like Marie or Mary and Royce? What did you think of uh, the 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 non main two women in there? Uh, they're just kind of character. I mean, I, nothing really. Okay. They didn't really work for me that well. I mean, they're just kind of instant. I mean, they're characters because, you know, you've got to have other characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there has to be other characters. They seemed a little bit gestural in that kind of way. They're like, well, the, these these are the other characters. If, they, if this is a group of travelers, which means there has to be more than one of them, right. then that means I've got to have more than one of them, in which case I better make them interesting, in which case they, they may as well be lesbians for all I care is the impression I got of those characters. Mm, okay. Well, I think Marie was the absolute dark uh, protege, and I think if you were big into the Doctor Who magazine comic strip with Absalom Dark, then that, you know, you, you, didn't, you couldn't use that character, so this is the next best, thing, next, next best thing to have a protege or someone who admired him, and they do a name check of him, and that sets up what, like you said, Ace becoming a Dalek hunter. 
Yeah, he does turn up actually, Absalom Dark, in um, uh, one of the Virgin New Adventures. Huh. Um, I can't remember which actually now. Hang on, wait a second. Deceit, which is actually by, which is written by Peter um, Darville Evans, who I think was the editor of the um, Range of the range yeah okay so i guess they yeah it was written by peter Darvill evans so i guess that they let him use that they mm-hmm. let him use absalom dark so it was yeah. ace and deceit yeah as, as in, yeah that ace comes back and she's all like a dalek killer at that point yeah okay um, so that makes sense why they would have dark in there yeah 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 what do you think of the framing device of the owls and then the flashback of releasing the owls and well i mean owls as far as i remember were a big deal in you know cornell's cat's cradle hmm. novel um i think owls have kind of been ruined for me by um harry potter, potter. yeah <laughs> um so i don't really i mean i used to like I mean, everyone used to like owls um i don't really like owls anymore mm-hmm. um owls, owls don't care uh, whether i like them or not but in general um, I was left a bit cold by the owls. Well, it, it was enough of a the the mystery at the end of the road, which was enough to make me to go find this location on the map. So it actually does exist. Oh, really? It, it's outside of Boston. Oh, okay. And I don't know what part of the UK you'd consider Boston. Uh, Boston. Um, it's not in the. It's not the nicest bit of Britain, basically. Um, <laughs> near Lincoln, Grantham, Grantham, of course, where Margaret Thatcher was from. Um, it's in the near the Wash, uh, Kings Lynn. It's mm-hmm. low lying. Uh, it's very flat. Um, give it another twenty years, it'll be underwater because of global warming, basically. Yeah. So that's the the interesting thing about it was they were heading towards a prison. Uh, Her Majesty's. Uh, Prison North Sea Camp is the the lights that they were driving to at the end of Screen's End, and that's a real place. Yeah. Well, then I mean that must be that must be autobiographical, right? I mean, <laughs> Cor- I mean Cornell must have been driving his girlfriend or his boyfriend to the sea, and they came across a prison by mistake. So, oh, that's weird. I have no idea. Yeah. I, okay. I had I literally this this is you, you new information. Yeah. So new the thing the yeah. thing that kind of uh, made me think about this because it is beyond. So what was beyond? What was the secret beyond at this dead end road? And the best as I can guess, it's it's the sea or it's a, a tidal estuary because yes. uh, the the screen or the the screen's end is near uh, the haven, which is a a, a tidal river uh, into Boston. And my guess is that's where we get the idea of heaven because haven, heaven, it's very similar. And right. so there's little bits, I think, like you said, it, Cornell may, this may have been a little bit of autobiographical writing that uh, he had this experience, turned it into fiction between uh, Ace and Julian, the, the scene, uh, listening to Bowie, that type of bit, and uh, that was his hook for his novel. So perhaps, you know, we, you, we would have to ask him or he would have we to would say We would have to ask him. It does seem biographical in some way. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, where, where was, where's he from, Paul Cornell? I'm looking up on the internet now. The UK. Uh, well, you know, but he, he, could be, he could be from, like, North Norfolk. I mean, he could be from the Wash, couldn't he? Um, oh, Chippenham. Born in Chippenham. Well, that's no good. He's born in Wiltshire. So, yeah, no, he's, he's from nowhere, nowhere near that part of the world mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I, I'm feeling, yeah, that, 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 that uh, you know, to know that. But, of course, in those days, back in the early 90s, um, you couldn't 
you know, if you wanted to research what it was actually like somewhere, you'd just you'd literally have to go there. Right. Um, you know, there's no kind of Google Earth or, you know, YouTube or anything. Right. Um, I guess there were maps. Um, <laughs> what, what were those again, Grandpa? <laughs> I don't know what those are. Flat bits of paper with squiggles on them. Um, so, yeah, this was for some reason, I think he made that he has made he made that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so and I, I doubt know. he did it for the novel itself. So it must have been pre no, pre writing. It's, it's definitely kind of shoehorned in as like not particularly necessary to the plot. So um, and it's far away from Perryvale, too. So that's. Uh, oh, yeah, it's far away from. I mean, you would. I mean, far be it from if I'm going to alienate our listeners in you know the wash but you know it's far away from anywhere there's no way you'd go to boston or wrangle or any of those places unless you really really had to um it's not really a place that people go yeah i think it's um, sadly i think i did a google map uh, estimate and it's like a three-hour drive from perryvale so they were uh ace and julian were up to no good there yeah i, I actually that was one of the things that that kind of uh, I found weird because, I mean, obviously Cornell knows his, you know, UK geography like I do. That is an odd decision mm-hmm. to drive from Perryvale in, in, you know, in kind of northwest London to Boston, Lincolnshire. Right. Um, that is a long way. It's three hours by Google Maps. It's going to take you five hours with the traffic. Mm-hmm. No problem mm-hmm. at all. So, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a weird decision. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking there's, there's something... There's something autobiographical in there with mm-hmm. uh, with Paul Cornell. You know, he took a girlfriend um, out in, into the reason. middle of nowhere. I guess that was the thing that the <laughs> Ace found them. it. Ace found <laughs> this road that with a dead end. Where does it go? And it's sort of like, well, really, is that that big of a hook? But okay. <laughs> yeah, and on, on their way to Skeggy or something. Who mm. knows? Or maybe there mm. were a traveler encampment outside there that they were oh, trying yeah, to hook yeah. up with. Yeah, travel travelers were actually a lot more around Chippenham actually, um, where where he's from. Yeah, in, well, in maybe that maybe that does explain the uh, fascination yeah. with them. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mabel Thorpe. Um, other characters. Uh, IMC guys, was it uh, Pierce? I like the I like I like the IMC guys. Yeah, yeah. you know, Pierce the and IMC. Kale. Yeah, <laughs> IMC again is is quite regularly used in the in the Virgin New Adventures really? as far as I remember. Yeah, wow, they, I would not they, have guessed that. They kind of walk on. Well, I think a lot of it, again, as you've just pointed out, is to do with you know the main writers for for or the main kind of you know instigators for. The new adventures were all Pertwee era people. And we had this knock against Briggs where he has to have all these pieces fall into place for the plot to work. And it seemed a bit odd that uh, if, if if we were to buy the Doctor, the Seventh Doctor, to be this manipulative... A character that he knew that Jan was a pyrotechnic, he could start fire with his body, and that he had to be absorbed into the Houthi fungi uh, sphere, and that uh, saying his secret name that Ace would discover would have him go uh, ballistic and ignite the Houthi skinship. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed very... Uh, all the yeah. pieces fit really... Uh, oh, they had to work this way in order for this story to work. Yeah, but again, I mean, in some ways that then fits with what the New Adventures certainly initially, you know, wanted the Doctor to be, which is kind of uber manipulative, everything yeah. fits together kind of guy. Mm. Um, I guess that makes sense know, then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he plays chess in this novel as well. It's like, ah, oh, stop playing chess. <laughs> um, the chess agenda. Know. 
the chess agenda. Johnny yeah, chess jo- agenda. Johnny chess, the Johnny chess <laughs> agenda. Exactly. Doesn't he sweep some chess things off the board at some point? As far yeah, as I remember, I, I vaguely recall that. You know, angrily as usual. The the one bit of Dark Doctor thing that I really didn't like, and if I would have read this back in uh, the early '90s, I really would have been annoyed with that. The Seventh Doctor killed the sixth doctor killed a six incarnation so he could be the times champion that's a big deal in the in the in the new adventures yes you know and so that bothers me i don't think the doctor would do that and here it is and this is something that cornell introduces into the expanded canon that the seventh doctor murdered the sixth doctor and that's how the valyard comes into play and, yep 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 uh, well the other the other canon piece is this whole Planet of the Spiders, the whole end, you know, the whole oh, third. Yeah. The the third Doctor wandered for millions of years in the in the in the dimensions of blur and was all dying of radiation and which is a I guess is a funnish idea, but it's so kind of non third doctory and it's and it, it it kind of got cemented in canon because um uh, you know when BB when the BBC took uh, took the franchise back from Virgin and started doing their own novels. There's that two novel piece. Um, oh God, who's the who's that fan who went all weird and ran away? Um, oh God, you know that crazy guy on the internet. <laughs> that um, describes the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no, who with the who wrote who wrote those um, the guides with the uh, that other guy. Oh, you know the one. Um, oh, uh, I know who you're yes. talking about. I have it right here. Uh, Tapwood and Lawrence Miles. Lawrence Miles. So the crazy Lawrence Miles really latched onto that. And he, he did a, a giant kind of two-part like well, two part novel. So it was like two books and one novel, um, which had that as kind of its you know central thesis. Uh, but I, I've, always, I've always disliked that because that doesn't seem to fit with the slightly jolly aspect of and, you know, efficient... Uh, well-organized jolliness of the Pertwee era to have that era end with the Doctor, you know, dying for millennia, right. floating in the target, tar- dying of radiation sickness, mm-hmm. is weird, actually. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that came from. I, I mean, that's sitting around in the pub, basically. I mean, they, all of this comes from sitting around in the Fitzroy <laughs> Tavern, like, yeah. talking about Doctor Who endlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, they should have gone out and got themselves lives, which they did, <laughs> and now they run Doctor Who. Right. So good. That's good. Huzzah! Huzzah! All is well. So yeah, that's the other. That's so I I, I don't mind the Times Champion thing mm-hmm. actually as much as I mind the the Doctor dying of radiation sickness for millennia thing. Well, if you wanted to have a trap though, it it does fit well within. Uh, if you want, if you wanted to have a trap for the Doctor, if you did extend this out, and if you loved the Pertwee era, you'd want to have the trap that killed, you know, the Pertwee regeneration. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to be you want it to be a lot more epic. Yeah, exactly. I think Cornell could have just went with the scene with the giant spider with the great one and that be the trap and reliving that. Right. As right. the trap and uh, you know the trap for Ace is visiting her mother and the relationship right. with her mother. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, um, this uh, uh, we're reaching the end of <laughs> yeah, this podcast. We it's are a l- little bit of a downer of a podcast because we don't usually like to talk about things we don't like. But we had to uh, promise this. We did promise this, and I think it's been interesting. I think you know, as I said, these are very much artifacts of mm. their time now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this well, is much like the television program too. Much, much like the TV show, and I think you know we can maybe read them at a distance now and and um, maybe be less irritated with them. 
<laughs> than we are, even though that's quite irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so are uh, we going to uh keep on reading them let's read the whole lot <laughs> uh let's do a big finish instead yes i think we should do a big we should i think we should go back to doing some big finishes for a while well, well we'll have to find a big finish with ace and the doctor well i mean this i mean we could i mean if we were masochist super masochistic we could get the <laughs> verge, we could we could get the adaptation that um big finish did for 2012 uh, punt <laughs> But also, we have the Pertwee Centenary coming up that we have mentioned that we should talk about the great man himself and his uh, impact on the show. And I think that would be a good way to spend July, actually. Yeah, we should. We should all we should sit down and read our copy of Moon Boots and Dinner Suits. <laughs> um, that's... Which I have signed by John Pertwee. Oh, oh. Bless. Yes, I know. Um, uh, yeah, we should. We should. Because there's this amazing box set coming out which i'm just resisting every fiber of my being not to buy oh i don't have a blu-ray player so there's there's actually there's literally no point yeah. in me buying you have it. self self-discipline i <laughs> no. sucker that i am i signed up for season 23 box set i have that on pre-order for amazon oh, so i have you're, tr- well you're a, <laughs> i'm hook yeah. lying and sinkered they got me big well i mean all you have to do is sell your season um <laughs> 12 12 box set and like you buy your family a holiday in the bahamas um darn near exactly damn <laughs> i wish i bought two of those they must be reprinted. they will sure they will surely. they won't reprint them with the boxes and you know how fandom is with certain collectors that if they don't have the special edition packaging the same. It, that's the same well i'm i'm the same yeah but the thing so yeah, yeah. i may i uh, yeah but the thing is I just you re- could re, re you could recreate that if you really wanted to be clever with a cereal box and a photocopper <laughs> a sugar smacks box from 1973 <laughs> uh um yeah i guess um i just really want to see the planet of the daleks with all with the with rob um rob uh, our mate rob yeah. uh doing all the doing all the dalek animation yeah. that, that'd be fabulous anyway so yeah we should do we let's, let's do some pertwee over the summer all right so uh, very good thank you for listening this has been episode 119 of the metabulous tube podcast this is our third anniversary of podcasting for you so uh thank you for listening yeah thank you i have been talking with ben and i've been talking as usual with david And until next time, we'll be listening to some early Big Finish with the Doctor and Ace. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. Strange